Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Religiosity, How to Make Jesus Mad. Four easy steps. This is step four. And if you haven't been with us, I'll just explain what we're doing. We're going through the Gospels when Jesus actually walked on the earth, God the Son. We're taking a look at some of the things that made him really mad. And we're looking at it as Christians. We know he's not mad at us. We know Jesus took all of God's wrath on himself, all the wrath that would have came at us, all our punishment. And so God loves you as much as anybody else on planet Earth. And we know none of us are perfect, but that's has nothing to do with it. You accepted Jesus, and you're in Christ, and he loves you with a passion. And that's important for you and I to understand. But how are we looking at this? Well, if something made Jesus angry when he walked on the earth, we would assume that if we do that, we're not going to be pleasing to the Lord. And he asked, he asks us to live a life that's pleasing to him. So that's how we're looking at it. And we're learning some fun and wonderful things. We had a great time. And today, I call this lesson Religious Distractions. And you and I can be distracted by a lot of things. And Jesus became angry over what I call religious distractions. And we'll give it a more precise name in just a little. But I want to open up with a story. Um, about 20 years ago, I was the regional director for a ministerial association uh, for the states of Ohio and Michigan. And Monday would have been a busy day if I was still doing that because all the Michigan pastors would be crying after Ohio State whooped their fanny, you know, uh, yesterday. Uh, so I'd have a lot of phone calls and I'd be doing a lot of teasing. But uh, I would go in when there was trouble. I'd do a lot of positive things, have district meetings, regional meetings, state meetings. But when there was a problem, a lot of times I went in to help. And, uh, you know, if it was a pastor with indiscretion, financially, morally, uh, that was one thing. But the parts or the times that were really tough is when there was what I call a church fight. And uh, I, I like professional fights. Um, I love boxing. I love the octagon. And I've been to many professional fights and sat up close, and they're brutal, right? But here's what I learned. You never have witnessed a fight till you witness a church fight. They are the worst fights ever. And this was a rumble in the fellowship hall. And so they're calling me in. And here's what it was about. The pastor had half the church mad at him for not emphasizing a certain doctrine as highly as they thought he should emphasize it. And so the pastor had about half the people with him. A strong leader had about half the people with them. And they asked me to come in and help. And I felt so, so unprepared. And I, I thought, even if Jesus came, I don't know if he could fix this one, if he was here himself. And so here's what happened. They're fighting over a doctrine. And uh, the doctrine they're fighting over is not a big deal. It's important, but it's not a big deal, and it didn't need to be emphasized. So in this case, I agree with the pastor. So you have the pastor with about half the church, and the only one acting like Jesus would, being loving, is the senior pastor. Everybody with him is throwing bombs and saying degrading things towards the other group. And then the leader and everybody with him, they're saying degrading things towards each other. And it's all over a doctrine. And it wasn't a major doctrine. And so I did my best. I, I didn't help. Uh, they ended up splitting, and it was a shame. So here's why I share the story. We're going to look at something today where Jesus was trying to teach us to avoid those things. 
and he was trying to help us get in front of it with what he taught. So he became mad at the religious leaders because they were causing this very problem, and he wanted them to stop, and he wanted us to learn something for our day and our age. So I have a big idea for every lesson in case you're visiting. That's what I want you to walk out of the lesson understanding more clearly than ever. And some of you, I know you know it, so I just want to help you maybe see it better as God opens up our eyes. But I made these big ideas in this series, uh, the four easy steps. And this could have been step two. It could have been the second most angry Jesus was, but I saved it for last. So I saved one of the best for last. But here's our big idea. If you want to make Jesus mad, step four, major on the minors. And I think most of you know what that means, to major on the minors, and we'll open it up. But that's you and I making a big deal out of the little things and actually fighting over the little things and not majoring on the majors. And God wants us to major on the majors. And I want to translate what happened with Jesus and these religious peoples to, to our New Testament, being a Christian. But let's look at the text. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Remember, woe means impending doom and, and danger. So Jesus is angry, right? And these are the religious leaders of the day, some of them. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law of Moses, which would be justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. And so you can see he's upset they're majoring on something and neglecting the most important thing. So look, look at what they're majoring on, tithing off of spices. And this just shows you where their heart was. Do you realize how inexpensive it is to tithe off your spices? Would it cost you? Could, could everybody here tithe off their spices at home? Just give a tenth of your spice. It wouldn't cost us hardly anything. And that's what they're emphasizing. But then notice what they're not talking about justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And just think about that. Justice is how we treat people. Do we treat them right? Do we treat them fairly? You know what God taught even in the Old Testament? He said, if there's foreigners that come into Israel, into your land, he said, treat them with dignity and justice. And he said, remember, you were slaves in Egypt. So let's treat them fairly. Let's treat them with justice. And then mercy is when we forgive people, give them a second chance, and boy, sometimes it's hard for people to do that. Sometimes we make them wear that scarlet letter. Or it's like, shame, shame, nail them to the wall. You're going to pay. You're done for the rest of your life, buddy. You're canceled forever because you made one mistake. It's like, come on, man, relax, man. Yeah, well, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. But uh, God says, show mercy, right? And, and then faithfulness is when you and I are faithful to other people and we're loyal to God and loyal to people. And I want you to begin to ask yourself, what would be the equivalent of that in the New Testament? Because that's what they were neglecting, and they were majoring on something that's in the Bible, but shouldn't be majoring on that if you're neglecting the other. So Jesus, in the very next verse, he gives it a name. And I almost used this as my big idea, but I figured we wouldn't all understand the cultural reference. But we're going to have a little bit of fun with it. And here it is, guys, verse 24. You blind guides... You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. And I love that, strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. We'll understand, but I have a really important question. No one's given me the answer yet, and I need to know this. So if any of you have ever tried it, you need to tell me. Okay, first of all, you know, gnats are like little itty-bitty like fruit flies, just tiny little things. 
And it was against the law of Moses for them to eat a gnat. So my question is this, how many gnats would it take to fill up a tablespoon? That's, you know, does, has anybody ever tried? I'm guessing three or 400, I, I don't know. But you'd need that many to taste it. And so if you know that answer, let me know in the lobby or email the church and they'll forward it to me. I'm, I'm also wondering, what does a gnat taste like? And don't tell me chicken. There has to be a unique taste. So I want to know what a gnat tastes like. You have to have a bunch to know, right? So if anybody knows that, I'd love to know. But here's what happened. Uh, God gave them clean and dirty animals, unclean and clean, and they, they weren't allowed to eat the unclean, and he did it with insects. So he actually said, you can eat certain insects. They were allowed to eat grasshoppers. He said, you can eat them. And I never have, and I never will, and I don't know if you have, but I won't. I don't even care if you bread it and deep fry it. Anything's good breaded and deep fried, but I'm still not going to eat that grasshopper, all right? But one of the things they weren't allowed to eat is a gnat. So here's what they would do, and this is what Jesus is talking about, nitpicking, majoring on a minor. They would literally strain their liquids to make sure a gnat didn't get in. So whether it's water or wine, they'd have a cloth that the liquid would go through. they pour through a cloth, and then it would catch the solids in case they swallowed a gnat by mistake. And one of the thoughts that I have is, would God care if they swallowed one by mistake? He really wouldn't care. They're just... They're just majoring on a minor is what they're doing. And I, I don't want to ruin your sleep tonight, but I, I've read, uh, and, and this is scientific fact, that you and I have bugs get in our mouth when we're sleeping at night. That's kind of gross, isn't it? But do you think God would punish you if an unclean insect got in your mouth? None of us would want something as big as a grasshopper to sneak in there. But, but, but would, God care? would God care if they drank a nap by mistake? No, they're majoring on a minor. And then what's the camel, guys? It's justice. It's mercy. It's faithfulness. And the one that's so important, he says, you're just swallowing that. You're not even paying attention to that. You're just letting that go, but you're straining a gnat. So my big question is, what would be the New Testament equivalent? What would be a doctrine that's equivalent to what Jesus is talking about. Because Jesus is angry because they're neglecting the most important parts of the Bible for their covenant, and, and then they're emphasizing the ones that aren't costing them anything to tithe off of their spices. What's the equivalent? So if you were to ask me, what's one of the most important doctrines in the Bible? Um, I think most of you would say, well, there's only one way to heaven through Jesus, but we're not going to deal with that because that's how we come into the kingdom. It is very important. But once you're in the kingdom and you're a Christian, what would be the most important Bible doctrine? And you guys, if you could, many of you could shout it out, right? Many of you online are writing it in the chat rooms right now. But do you know what it, the equivalent is? It's love. It's loving people. And the Bible elevates that as the highest most important doctrine after accepting Jesus. And I can tell you, as far as I'm concerned, it took me years to learn that. I remember when I started Believers in 1983, I became friends with Pastor Len Evans. He was the pastor that pioneered Pleasant Valley Church and then pastored it for years. And he was world-renowned for what they called the love message, and he wrote books on the love message. He was famous all over the world, and people would say, he is the best teacher on the subject of love, and I'm getting to be friends with him. And he was way ahead of me in, in age and in ministry, so he was a mentor to me. But I remember walking away 
and, and leaving his presence and thinking, what's the big idea? It's just a love message. It's like, it's not all that deep, you know? And, and that's how I looked at it. And it took God over a decade to get a hold of me and say, no, that is the most important message in the Bible. And I was failing at it miserably in many ways. And so we can have an attitude towards this. But Jesus said it's the most important law that he's ever given. And he says it replaces all the Ten Commandments and everything else. So let's, let's look at what Jesus said, John 13, 34. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So this is really some powerful stuff. And notice how he calls it a new command. The word new means that which is new and replaces another. So, you know, the Old Testament talked about love and loving your brothers, loving uh, people like you love yourself. So it was in the Old Testament. But here's what he's doing. Jesus is saying, I'm giving this as my only command. And I'm, I'm taking love to a whole nother level. I'm going to take it way higher. And he says, it's going to replace all the other commands because if you love, you'll do all the other commands. And we'll see that in another section coming up. But then he said this. He goes, we're going to take love in the Old Testament. We're going to put it on steroids. And here's how I want you guys to love. I want you to love like I loved you. How did he love us? Well, the greatest act of love is to die for someone. Jesus died for us. That's the greatest act of love. And how does that translate for you and I? I know you guys would take a bullet for people you love, but how does it translate for us and every day? This is the hard part. Here's how it translates, laying our life down for others, that we love you, we love someone else so much, we're willing to make their life in our mind more important than ours. And that's what the book of Philippians talks about. And this is the highest level of love. So Jesus said, it's new, it replaces the other, and then I want you guys to practice it like I did. And then he said, this is how everyone will know you're my disciples. And in John 17, remember when Jesus prayed and he said, Father, make my church one, make them one, right? And, 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 and God says, when we're one, the world's going to look and say, there is something different about Christians. And we're still working on it. We're doing good, but we need to come higher. And I remember when I first saw this as a young pastor, I kept it within our four walls. Like we, If you go to believers, we need to love one another, right? And that's important. We should do that. But Jesus was talking about this universally. And I noticed as sheep, God's people, you guys do a good job. I, I really think you do. And you know what else you guys do a great job with? Loving people that go to other churches. You do a really good job. You don't care if they go to another church. But us pastors, we struggle with that. You know, it's like, hey, that guy stole one of my sheep and he might steal another, or he never stole one, but I don't trust him. Or he teaches the Bible different than I do, and he he's emphasizing one thing, and I'm I, I don't I don't like that guy. And and we can just have this standoffish mentality. Now, God's doing a beautiful work in our valley, guys. It's amazing bringing pastors together. So we're getting a hold of it, right? But I remember when I was a young pastor, I had attitudes about just about every pastor in town. Now, every area has one pastor that's a little bit crazy, right? We all know who they are, and we, you, just, you, you love them without, you don't talk about them, but you know, I, that guy is off a little bit. But, but guys, the majority of us, a majority of pastors you know, they're just doing what God called them to do. And back in the day, there were pastors in town that 
I was nice to them, but I didn't respect them. And you know why I didn't respect them? Because they didn't teach the way I did. I was charismatic. They weren't. And I just kind of thought, oh, they're like second-class citizens, right? And, and I had this attitude. And I'll never forget when God dealt with me. And first of all, he showed me they're more fruitful than I am in many areas. And I could learn from these guys because I couldn't even listen to someone that wasn't charismatic, right? And so God rebuked me. And then he dealt with me. And he does that with scripture to begin to reach out in love. And we have a beautiful thing that's continuing to grow in our valley. And I think that's very exciting. And that's how people are going to look and say, these are my disciples. We're not fighting and nitpicking off of little things. Well, how important is this? Listen to this scripture, Romans 13, 8. Pay all your debts, accept the debt of love for others. Never finish paying that. For if you love them, you will be obeying all of God's laws, fulfilling all his requirements. And I think this is so interesting. First of all, God's not telling you you can't have a debt. He's just saying, if you have a debt, make your monthly payments. That's what he's saying. And, but can we all agree it's really nice when you pay off a mortgage? It's really nice when you pay off a car. It's nice when you don't have credit card debt, and that's the best way we can strive to live. But God's just saying, hey, payments will come to an end for whatever, but there's one payment, one mortgage that is never canceled, and that's the mortgage that we're called to, of God to love people. So I owe you a debt, and you owe me a debt. And what is that debt? Love. I have a mortgage payment, and it never ends. It's to love people. And so he wants to, us to see how important it is. And then he shows us why. Remember, it's a new commandment that replaces the old one. It goes on to read in verse 9, If you love your neighbor as much as you love yourself, you will not harm or cheat him or kill him, or steal from him, and you won't sin with his wife, or want what is his, or do anything else the Ten Commandments say is wrong. All ten are wrapped up in this one, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. In other words, if I love, I'm going to obey all the Ten Commandments and all the moral code. And in verse 10, love does no wrong to anyone. That is why it fully satisfies all of God's requirements. It's the only law you and I need. Can we all agree? God's making this really important. And my attitude with Pastor Len Evans, it's just a love message. Come on, let's not make a big deal out of love. There's a lot of deeper things in the Bible, buddy. And so God's saying, no, this is the most important thing. And it's amazing what he does in 1 Corinthians. Uh, in, in chapter 12, he talks about charisma. And then in chapter 14, he talks about charisma. But in chapter 13, he wants us to know that's not the most spiritual thing. And there are, there are people that aren't into it that are very spiritual, and we need to understand that. There's a lot of people into it that aren't so spiritual. And he just lets us know love's more important. That's how we judge our spirituality. And that's why we don't want to minor on, major on the minors. We want to major on the majors. So listen to this, 1 Corinthians 13.1. If I had the gift of being able to speak in other languages without learning them and could speak in every language there is in all of heaven and earth but didn't love others, I would only be making noise. So even if you have that gift of speaking in other tongues, he says, you're not that spiritual. It's just everything you do is noise if you're not loving people. So that's he's just showing us it's the most important thing. In verse 2, he says, if I had the gift of prophecy and knew all about what is going to happen in the future... And that's pretty cool. 
uh, knew everything about everything. I love people that are prophetic. That's, that's awesome. But if you didn't love others, what good would it do? You're not, you're not spiritual in God's eyes. He goes on and says, and even if I had the gift of faith so that I could speak to a mountain and make it move, I would still be worth nothing at all without love. And I want you to think about this. There are certain people, in my opinion, they have great faith. So when I need prayer, I'm like, would you pray for me? Because I, I know they know how to pray. But God's saying, even if they do, if they're not walking in love, that. They're not spiritual. There's more growth that they need. And so he's just letting us know how important it is. Then he finishes out this way. This one will shock you. Verse 3, if I gave everything I have to poor people, and if I were burned alive for preaching the gospel but didn't love others, it would be of no value whatsoever. Both of these have heavenly rewards. But he's saying you'd cancel out your heavenly reward if you don't learn to love people. And I want you to think about this. I don't know that I have the ability to empty out my, my, my savings and give it to the poor. I give to the poor, but to give everything? I would say, boy, that's quite a person if they're able to do that, right? But God says if they're not walking in love with people, they're not all that spiritual, and there's no reward in heaven for that. And then this next one, a martyr, not just a martyr, dying at the stake. And if you've been at Believers any length of time, you've heard me say this many times, um, there's a special reward if you're martyred for your, your faith. And I have prayed this prayer many times. I'll continue to pray it my whole life. It's, Lord, I don't want that reward. <laughs> you can give it to someone else. You guys can have it. I don't need it. I don't want it. I don't. I, but now if someone said, you know, deny Jesus or you're going to die, I would have to be a martyr. But I don't want to be one. I want to avoid it if possible. And so I think that's really a spiritual person. Think about it. No, I'm not going to deny Jesus. And to think about being burned at the stake. Ugh. But guys, you're not spiritual if you're not loving. What's he trying to do? He's trying to get us to see how important this thing called love is. That's all that God's doing. So he goes on and gives us what I call the love test. <laughs> and we're going to take it together. And I want you to know up front, you know, no perfect people are allowed here at Believers. And you know, when we pray the Our Father and we get to the part, forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. When, when I do that in the mornings, uh, typically the number one thing I'm saying, Lord, I was wrong, I want to do a 180 here, is when I walk out of love. Either my attitude, whatever it is, not walking in love with my wife, with somebody else, with my attitude. And I find myself always continuing striving to grow in this area. So I don't want anybody to be condemned. But it's fascinating when you take the love test. So are you guys ready to take it? Because so far we've just been, you know, let's love like Jesus loved. Now he's going to break it down. If you read it out of the Amplified Bible, it really breaks it down. But this translation did a great job. So let's take a look. 1 Corinthians 13.4. Love is very patient and kind. <laughs> Never jealous or envious, never boastful or proud, never haughty or selfish or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It is not irritable or touchy. Now, I have an irritable and touchy problem on Mondays. That's my day off. And after the weekend, on Mondays, I can be irritable and touchy. And then Gina will say, what's wrong, honey? And I go, nothing. I didn't say anything. Something's wrong, honey. I go, nothing's wrong. She goes, it's a tone. And I tell her, men are tone 
deaf, so I don't pick up on tones, honey. And, and then eventually I tell her, yeah, you're right, I, I do. I am, a, I, I am grumpy today, right? And, and so we, we all have our struggles, right? We can all fail the love test. It is not irritable or touchy. It does not hold grudges and will hardly even notice when other people did me wrong. You, you did, they did me wrong, I didn't even notice. Well, we, we can notice, right? Verse 6, it is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins. You see the things that Jesus dealt with being rolled in. If you love someone, you will be loyal or faithful to him no matter what the cost. You will always believe in him, always expect the best of him, and always stand your ground in defending him. And so none of us are perfect in this area, but can you see why a couple times a year we should teach this and emphasize it right? And I thought, let's make it practical. So I want to make it practical. I will not become political, but I just want to help us because we all deal with some of these different things, right? I'm going to use a, 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 for instance, in the Bible that was really a big deal. You and I wouldn't think it's a big deal now, but in Bible days, it was a big deal, and it was eating meat offered to idols. So here's what was happening. Uh, People would worship uh, idols, you know, statues and this and that, and they would offer animal sacrifices to them. could be a cow, uh, a a lamb, or chicken. And and so here's what they did. They, They used the best cow you know, the Kobe cows, they used the best because they wanted a good sacrifice, right? And so then they would sell the sacrifice to restaurants, and these were the best restaurants in town. And so they wanted these good cuts of meat, whether lamb, chicken, cow, whatever. And so they had this, the best meat in town, and there was a portion of Christians that would go to those restaurants and eat. And people would say, how can you do? They're, they're, they're serving food that was offered to idols. And here's their opinion. And ask yourself, which side would you be on? Their opinion was, you know what? I don't care what they worshiped. I'm not worshiping an idol. I worship God. I worship Jesus. But that's a good hunk of meat. And I'm going to eat at that restaurant. And so there's a group doing that, right? I probably would be in that group, by the way. And so then, then there's another group that's saying that was offered to an idol, and if you eat that, you're worshiping idols. And so they were angry with the ones that were eating it. They judged them and said, you're not spiritual. And then the ones that were eating it, they said, you're the one. You're a weak, wimpy little Christian, and your conscience is all messed up. And they're fighting over it. Now, all over the Bible, this is dealt with in your New Testament. That's how big a deal it was. And I asked myself, what could we compare it to today? So again, I'm not going to be political, but I just thought, what are a couple of things we could compare it to? How about vaccines, right? Whether you believe in them or not. And believers is mixed, right? And some people, for conscience sake, don't want them. Some people don't want them because they already had COVID, right? And then other people have been vaxxed. And I, can I tell you guys, Borman, guys at TCI, online here in Warren, you guys have walked in love beautifully. And I, I want to just thank you. I, don't, I just see us walking in love. I'm just teaching this for the people that don't go here that you're going to send this to to help them out, okay? That's why I'm teaching this. Um, but we can all grow in these things, right? And, 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 and it's all about just how do, what do we do? We, we love them. We respect them where they're at. And we're going to look at a text that does that. We could do this with masks. We could do this with who you voted for. I can't believe you voted for them. What's wrong with you? Well, I can't believe you voted for them. What's wrong with you? And we could get in all these big fights over everything. And, 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 and when we make love practical, it's like, you know what? 
I'm going to accept you for where you're at. You accept me for where we're at. And we're all growing together. And maybe none of us are wrong. We, we, maybe God's going to sort all this out, right? And so here's how it goes. Romans 14.1. Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. And he's not saying one's wrong and one's right. He's going to give you a for instance now. For instance, one person believes it's, it's all right to eat anything, but another believes with a sensitive conscience uh, will, will eat only vegetables. And this isn't about vegan versus carnivore. Um, this, if you know the context, you know the history. This is about eating meat offered to idols. And so one believes they can, one believes they can't. Listen to verse 3. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. So if you can go to that restaurant and you can eat the steak that was offered to an idol because you're not worshiping the idol, that's fine, but don't look down on those that don't. And those who don't eat certain foods, you won't eat something offered to an idol, must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Can we just stop for a moment? We're going to celebrate over this in a second. God has accepted them. And it's so awesome for us to remember God's dealing with all of us. And I like this. God honors our conscience. Aren't you glad God honors your conscience? And he's just working with all of us. And, and we all have a different perspective, a different, different shoes we grew up in and all, all of that. But then he says this. Who are you, verse 4, to condemn someone else's servant? So not only are we the children of God, he's also Lord and Master, so we're his servants. Who are you to condemn someone else's servant? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. God's saying, I'm going to walk all of you through this. And you can be assured I will walk you through this. And while it's all being sorted out, and while the world's fighting like cats and dogs, right, uh, let's in the church love each other. And let's accept each other where we're at. And again, I think we do a great job as a church, so I want to commend you. And I just want to encourage us to take it to the next level. I'm believing, uh, I think we do a good job as a church, but I'm believing for this world to begin to talk again. How about you? I'd love to see them talk again where they say, this is how I feel and this is how I feel. And then maybe we walk away saying we disagree, but we'll agree not to be disagreeable, right? And we just love each other. Wouldn't that be a cool world? But think about it. They're watching the church and they're seeing us do it and they're not seeing church fights. And they're saying, wow, there's something different about those people. So here's how I want to close this, and then we're going to pray. It's a great, great weekend to pray. But here's how I want to close it. I don't know about you, but I'm excited that God accepts us where we're at. He accepts our conscience. I'm excited God's working with all of us, and I'm excited that God said, hey, guys, you all have a mortgage of love. Keep paying that mortgage. And I'm excited about what we're doing as a church and how we're loving people. And I'm excited where God's taking this valley and what us pastors are going to do. So when it comes to the love of God over in Borman, our campus at TCI, everybody online here in Warren, can we say thank you, God, for your love and just give it up for him? Because it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Thank you, God, that we're accepted by you no matter where we're at, and you're working on all of us. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Father, thank you for working on all of us. Thank you for growing all of us. Thank you for emphasizing this weekend how important this thing called love is. And Lord, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. 100% of us failed the love test, Lord. We're all growing. Some of us do better than others, and we're all working towards it. But as we walk through this week, show us moments when we can apply love to our relationship with people.
knowing we have to communicate, talk things out, draw boundaries sometimes. But Lord, grow us in this area. And thank you for the love of Jesus that cleansed us and made us worthy and holy and blameless in your sight. Lord, thank you that we can live a pleasing life by loving one another. And I thank you for growing us in that area. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be the people that strain out a gnat and swallow the camels, but we're going we're gonna to look at those camels and walk in the things you've taught us to walk in. So heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Maybe you're listening. You're not sure if you're forever. If you were to die, if you go to heaven or hell. And maybe you walked in not even being sure if you believed in God, or maybe you're listening and you grew up in church. Maybe you were water baptized as a baby, an adult. You're a member of a church. I'm not asking that right now. I'm not asking you to join our church or a religion. Here's what I'm asking. You can go to church your whole life and not know Jesus. Can you remember a day when you said, Jesus, I believe you're the only way to heaven and I accept you as my savior. And if you're here and you say, I can't, but my heart's touched. I don't know what's going on right now, but I, I believe and I'm ready to accept Jesus. Here, here's the deal as we pray. Jesus came and died for the sins of the whole world. God raised him up out of the grave and he's alive. And he said, whoever believes in me, I will save them. And if you're listening to say, this is my day, I'm ready to pray. Would you pray with us? Would you pray right now? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. In Borman, online, pray with us. Guys at TCI, pray with us. And the rest of us, can we help them? Pray it and mean it if you're praying it for the first time. Let's say it. Let's help them out. Say, Father God, I realize I was born sin-stained and I need a Savior. I repent of my sins and I look to Jesus. Jesus, I believe you died for the sins of the entire world. God raised you out of that grave and you are the way, the truth, and the life. I accept you as my Savior. And from this day forward, I will follow you. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc slash give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast.